0: Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If I had a a prayer uh, for this sermon, it would be that God would do a work in our hearts by the Spirit to do exactly what we just sang on that last last slide, That, that our eyes would be turned to that heavenly city, that our eyes would be turned to that new Jerusalem, to that, that place of glory that awaits us, where we finally find what our treasure truly is, and that is Jesus Christ. So, so maybe you're here this morning, and that you would say that's really not where my heart is. Like I'm loving the things of this world, I'm loving my sin. I'm, I'm burdened by my suffering. I don't feel like pressing on. Well, by the power of the Spirit, I'm asking that God. By his word, would turn our focus, turn our gaze away from what's burdening us, what's tempting us to turn our eyes to Jesus. We read these, these words in Philippians chapter 3, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into His, to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask. That by Your Spirit, through the power of Your Word, that You would turn burdened hearts, tempted hearts, weary hearts, that You would turn our eyes away from this world and You would set our eyes on Christ. That our hearts would eagerly await our Savior who is coming for us. Lord, would You help us? We can't do this, Lord. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I woke up and there were hundreds of people running by my house. Hundreds of people. I'm not joking. And this isn't normal for my house, but my house sits right on the corner, right on the course of the Bowling Green Marathon. The Bowling Green Half Marathon. So, this morning I woke up. I had an extra hour of sleep. That's why you all look good and rested today. Our kids didn't get the memo. They didn't take the extra hour, but that's all right. And so I walked out onto the corner of my driveway and I cheered on runners who were running by this morning for two and a half hours. More than anything, I mean, my house. But more than anything, I was uh, I was cheering on members of Christ Fellowship who were running. In the race. So my my house sits on about the nine mile mark, which is about, if you think about it, for a half marathon, that's about three-fourths of the way done. And if you've ever ran in a race, this is really the hardest part. This is the most grueling part of the race. It's not the first part of the race where you have all the adrenaline and there's still crowds up and down the streets or It's not the last part of the race where it's almost over and you can see the finish line and they're pumping the music and you're excited. No, it's the part of the race where your body is tired, where your mind is telling you you probably just want to quit, you want to walk, where no one is near anymore, where your heart feels like giving up. It's the hardest part of the race. So that's why I wanted to go outside and I wanted to say, keep going. You're doing great. Just just a few more miles. Press on. And, And literally my wife, just to get you a picture, was doing high kicks, especially cheering on the women this morning. Because I knew that it was the hardest part. And this morning I'm praying that God would use his word by the power of spirit to say, Christ Fellowship. Brothers and sisters, press on. Keep going. You're you're doing great. Just a few more miles ahead. I know that this race seems long for many of you. I know your body feels tired. I know your mind and your heart are telling you to quit. I know you often feel like you're alone. You feel burdened. You feel like you're being attacked but the Spirit is saying, press on. I know through COVID, you're, you're growing tired and weary. I, I know the world's temptations seem like they are increasing. And they are great. I, I know that life, long days with many kids in the home. I know that life makes you feel like you want to grow up. I mean, give up. I know suffering feels... Like it will never end, but God is saying to us this morning, press on, brothers and sisters. The call is press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. But but before we even jump in, I want us to notice, I want us to notice in this passage that the Lord assumes, if you're a Christian, assumes that you are running the race. The Lord redeems you not to stand at the end of your driveway in a bathrobe with a coffee cup and eating a donut while other people run. No, the Lord has redeemed you to run. To be in the race. To be running towards the glory of heaven. To be longing for Jesus. To be running. Listen to what Pastor Jack Miller says. He says, Many times we act as though we're mere spectators at the race. We cheer on those Christians who are in the race, but we ourselves sit on the sidelines and watch. But Paul is telling us that we've been justified. We've been pardoned. We've been made sons and daughters that we might run. If you're mature, you must think of yourself as a runner, not a spectator. When it comes to knowing God and Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a spectator sport. We're not justified to sit. We are justified to run. So this letter to the Philippians, to to our hearts today, Paul wants to show us how to run this race. God's Word, His his Spirit wants to teach us the joy of pressing on till we see Him. So the first thing I want us to see is is to press on, brothers and sisters, in the gospel. Press on in the gospel. If we're not careful, we can hear words like, press on, and it can seem like this is all relying on us. We can hear words like, press on, and it can sound contradictory to the gospel, We can hear words like running a race or other Bible words like striving for holiness or fighting the good fight of faith. And we can think, man, that just sounds like religious duty. That just sounds like it's all on me, like I'm going to earn my salvation. And if we're not careful, we can believe in our own hearts, I must do this or God won't accept me. I must do this or... I'll never be saved. I won't be loved. But notice notice in the passage, he doesn't say, I press on to make it my own so that Jesus might make me his own. He doesn't say, I, I press on to make it my own so that Jesus will love me, so that when I get to heaven, he'll be proud of me. No, Paul makes it clear in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, there's a reason that verses 1 through 12 come before this passage on pressing on. There's a reason that that Paul has just spent 12 verses talking about resting in the complete perfect righteousness of Christ for the believer and not our own before he comes to this passage. It's because, brother and sister, if my focus, if the focus of my life is fixed on me pressing on, on my performance, on my best effort, then like I said last week, I'm going to be paralyzed by the fact that I'm never going to be enough. But if I'm focused on Christ, I'm going to be fueled by the truth that Jesus is more than enough for me. I mean, if I'm fixated on myself, then my performance is going to rob me of joy. While at the same time, it's going to fill me with insecurity and anxiety and comparison and frustrations and a whole lot other heart issues. But if I'm fixed on Christ, I'm going to be filled with joy. I'm going to be filled with peace, with security, with hope. I mean, if I'm fixed on my performance, I get at best whatever I can muster up by my own strength. If I'm focused on me, all I can do is just get whatever I can produce by my best effort. But Paul says, if I'm fixed on Jesus, then I get to know Him and the power of His resurrection. So I can settle for whatever I can produce or, resting in Christ, I can know the power of His resurrection. That's why I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. So my resting in Christ doesn't make me complacent. It makes me run like never before. My resting in his righteousness, it doesn't paralyze me. It makes me press on even more until I see him. Paul's call to press on. It's not contrary to the gospel. It's the fruit of resting. Resting leads to running. Resting in Christ leads to running towards Christ. Let, let me say it this way in light of the race theme, because this is, this is so helpful from my own heart. The Let me say it this way. The gospel is not the finish line to the Christian life. The gospel is the starting line. Do you get that? The gospel is not the finish line to the Christian life. The gospel is the starting line. Like, I'm not running really hard pressing on so that God might love me at the finish line of life. No, I'm running really hard Because God does love me. Because He began this race in me. He began this good work in me, redeeming me and saving me from the sin that I love, the sin that I thought would satisfy me, and set my eyes on Jesus. I run more than ever because I'm resting in Christ. We have to remember this because we all too often end I mean, run like the end's still up in the air. Like I'm going to get to the finish line and I don't know what's waiting for me when I behold the Lord. Is God going to be, is he going to accept me or is he going to reject me? Is he going to approve of me or is he going to be disappointed? Is he going to be happy to see me or or frustrated? Is he going to love me or leave me? This is how we think of the Lord sometimes. But what happens to our hearts, what happens to our pressing on when we know that we are fully known by God and yet fully loved in Christ? When we know that we're already resting in His righteousness, that we know right now, I am fully approved, I am fully accepted in Jesus. I belong to Him. I belong to Him. Well, you'll run like never before. You will press on because the good news of the gospel is the fuel. You'll press on with joy to make it your own because Christ Jesus has already made you his own. So press on in the gospel. Second thing he says is press on by forgetting what lies behind. There's nothing worse for a runner than looking behind him to see what is coming. There's nothing worse than someone is gaining on you, you hear the crowd, they're excited, and so you turn to be distracted. I, I don't know if anybody else ran cross-country. Did anybody else run cross-country in here? few people. I used to run cross-country, and as I was getting towards the finish line, and I was coming up on another runner, as soon as he took his eyes off the finish line, As soon as he would turn to look at me and to take his eyes off the prize, it was done. I had already beat him. He's already defeated. He's already lost. Well, Paul's saying the same thing for the Christian who's distracted by their past. Who doesn't keep their eyes on the future. Who's not straining forward. that, That imagery straining forward with all your energy Everything you have towards the goal of the prize that awaits you. Just listen, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That's one motion. I forget and I strain forward. You know, the the theme of remembering is a very powerful theme throughout the Bible. Remembering is this powerful call, and, and this is what remembering is. Remembering is when you take something that's happened in your past and you bring it forward. Like you bring it into your mind so that it gives power in the present. So if you think about the Israelites, what did they do? They always looked back at the Exodus, and they brought that forward. They brought that into their minds so they could remember the great saving arm of the Lord. We, as believers in Christ, what do we do? We, we look back to the cross and the resurrection, and we bring that to our minds so that we might Think about the cross. It's just what we sang earlier. In the cross of Christ, we glory. In the cross of Christ, we live. Our hope will never fail. We stand there. That's our hope. We take the cross from the past, the resurrection from the past, and we bring it forward that it might have power in the present. But here's what I want us to see. that The theme of forgetting is just as empower- powerful and just as important as remembering. Because think about it. the Forgetting is the call to leave something in the past, to refuse to bring it forward, to never recall it to mind so that it has zero power in the present. You see the difference. Have no power in the present. So let me ask, what are you not forgetting in your past that's slowing you down in the present? I mean, just search your heart. The Lord knows your heart. What has happened in your past that is so paralyzing you, that's paralyzing you from straining forward? what lies ahead, from straining forward till you see Christ. For some of us, it's the sin of our past. It's something that you said to someone in your past. Maybe it's something that you didn't do, that you knew you were to do. Maybe it's something that you did that, that no one knows that you've hidden somewhere in your heart, but you know the Lord knows. Maybe it's something you did in a past relationship, a mistake you made in a past relationship where right now it is paralyzing you from moving forward, paralyzing you from all your energy straining forward, from pressing on towards the prize. If that's you this morning... This is what God promises you in the Gospels. This is what He says about those who are in the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. He says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember their sin no more. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't have a bad memory. God, by His grace, chooses to forget. God doesn't have a bad memory. God, by His grace, chooses to forget. So, brother and sister, why would you choose to remember what God has already chosen to forget in Christ? The the gospel is inviting you, inviting you, giving you the joy this this morning to forget what God has already forgotten. For you to forget what God has already forgotten so that you can press on towards Christ who has forgiven you. You will never press on if you keep giving power to the past by bringing it forward to the present. Maybe for some of us it's the self-righteousness in our past. It's the good things in our past. It's a prayer we've prayed. The good things that you've done. It's your religious performance that you're proud of. That, that has to be in Paul's mind here. Because of what he said in verse 1 in, through verse 12. His self-righteousness that he used to boast in and be confident in and claim as enough. Maybe this morning you're thinking, I've done enough. I've done enough. Maybe you're thinking, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a, I'm a nice lady, what else do I need to do? Have, have I not done enough to earn God's love? Well, your past performance will never be the fuel you need for pressing on. It'll just paralyze you. God's not calling you this morning to be complacent. Complacent in what you've done in your past. No, It's the gospel that's the fuel, the the complete forgiveness, the the perfect righteousness of Christ that fuels you to run like never before. It allows you to to run, not trying to perform, not trying to measure up, but it allows you to run because you're already forgiven and free. You're not entangled by the sin and self-righteousness of your past. You're pressing on towards Christ. So, Press on, brothers and sisters, in the gospel. Press on by forgetting what lies behind. Number three, press on by imitating others. Did you see what Paul says in verse 15? In verse 15, Paul says, Hey, let those who are mature think this way. If you've ever wondered what it means to be mature in Christ, mature Christians are those who forget what lies behind. And who strain forward towards the goal. Paul tells us confidently, hey, if you're here and and you're a Christian and you don't think this is your calling in life, well, God's going to reveal it to you. God will show you. Hopefully this morning he's showing you this is my calling to forget what lies behind and strain forward. But also, if you're not running this way, look what he says. Find someone who is... And imitate them. Follow them. Run like them. This is a a picture of discipleship. Discipleship is imitation. It's imitating those who are in Christ. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So to go back to the race analogy, you're not seeking to imitate the one who's walking. You're not seeking to imitate the one who's quitting and veering off course. You're not seeking to imitate the the guy in his bathrobe, eating a donut, drinking his coffee, standing on the sidelines. No. He says, look for those who are running the race. Imitate those who are running the race. And, And what's it look like? They're resting in Jesus, they're not perfect, but they're forgetting what lies behind, and they're straining forward all their energy, all their life, all their time, their money, their energy is headed towards Christ. Paul says, find someone who's running this way and tell them, hey, I want to run. I want to learn how to run like you. Don't wait for someone to ask you. Look around the church here at Christ Fellowship, at your brothers and sisters, those who are being fueled by the gospel, those who are resting in Jesus, those who are forgetting and straining forward, and just say, hey, can we meet up? I want to follow you. I want to run after you. And let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, Brothers and sisters of Christ's Fellowship, be be a Paul, be a runner. Live a life that's worthy of imitation. This doesn't mean you're perfect. Paul makes it clear verse after verse here. Hey, I haven't attained it yet. Not that I've been made perfect. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. That's not what maturity is on this side of heaven. No, what it looks like is that you know that you haven't arrived. But you're resting in and you're running hard after Jesus. If you're a Christian here today, I can say with complete confidence that the Lord's calling you to press on, to fight the fight of faith, to give every effort, to strain forward with all your energy towards Christ. To give every effort in running this race. Listen, we have enough spectators in the churches today. We have enough people standing on the sideline. We need more runners. We need godly women who will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need godly men who will say, run after me as I run after Christ. So press on. By imitating others, and finally, press on by eagerly waiting for Jesus. Paul says, there are people in Philippi, there are people in your city who say that they're Christians. Maybe had they have the Christian ichthus on the back of their chariot. They, they say they're they're Christians, they would consider themselves a follower of Jesus. But listen to how he describes them. And he says, I'm describing them this way, even through tears, it, it breaks his heart. He says, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says, these so-called Christians. Yes, they might be at church on Sundays. They might go to church some, but listen, he says they're enemies of the cross. Their their heart is not affected by the gospel. They don't live a cross-shaped life. He goes on to say they might have false assurance, but their hearts are deceived. They're headed For hell. They say that they worship God, he says, but their real God is their belly. Meaning they have an insatiable appetite for the world. They have this lust for the things of this world, and they're never satisfied. They glory, he says, in their shame. Their sin doesn't even bother them anymore. Their sin doesn't even cause them to blush anymore. And he says, finally, their minds are set on, fixed on, captivated by the things that are here below. They're they're earthward. They're not heavenward in their vision. I mean, doesn't that sound like Bible Belt Christianity in our days? Hoping to go to heaven while full of the world. They say, they they call themselves Christians. Paul says they call themselves Christians, but they're not fixed on Christ. They're not longing for Christ. They're not fixed on Christ. They're fixed on football, and they're fixed on money, and they're fixed on possessions and porn and reality TV and shopping. They, They love all of this more than Jesus. They long for everything in this world more than they long for Jesus. It's like a runner who would take his eyes and be distracted by the sidelines. A runner who would change course and try to go his own way. But Paul says it should be different for those who love Jesus. Different for those whose home is in heaven. Listen listen to verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The picture is that of a born-again believer who's changed their residency. Their, their citizenship has has now been relocated in heaven, and so has all their affections. So is all their loves and longings. It's now with Jesus in heaven. Now, now their hearts are no longer fixed on the things of this world, their hearts are fixed on heaven. They're not longing and they're no longer hoping for for things to get easier here or more comfortable here or better here. We're longing to be there with Jesus. I love this phrase. He says, we await, which many translations, maybe even a more literal translation is we eagerly await a Savior. We eagerly await. Await a Savior. When you eagerly await for something, no one can distract you from it. When you eagerly await, nothing can take your mind away from it, your heart away from it. It's not a half-hearted hope. It's not lip service of love. It's not going through the motions. It's a longing of your soul. It's a longing in our soul that's filled with joyful anticipation because we know what is coming. We know what's waiting for us as believers. We're going to see our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see our Savior, the one who died on a criminal's cross for my sin, and who rose again three days later for victory. We're going to see our Savior, who not only saved me forever from the penalty of sin, and who's saving me from the power of sin, but He'll one day save me from the presence of sin for the rest of eternity. We're going to see our Savior, and the Bible says we're not just going to see Him, but the Bible says we're going to be made like Him because we're going to see Him as He is in 1 John 3. We're going to see our Savior, the the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's going to take these lowly, feeble, broken, weary, tattered, cancer-stricken, sin-wrecked bodies, and He's going to transform our lowly body, the Bible says, to be like His glorious body. How can you not eagerly wait for that? How can you not eagerly long for that? By His power, sin and sickness will be forgotten in the past forever. Never to be brought back again. We should be eagerly, eagerly awaiting for him, brothers and sisters. I, bu- I read a book recently, and it, it described the, the Christian life as groaning until glory. That's uh, what, what Christian life is, this author says. It's groaning until glory. And for some of us here this morning, maybe the the groaning feels really heavy right now and the glory seems really faint and really far away. Maybe this morning you would say, Lance, right now I feel like I'm in the hardest part of this race. I feel like my suffering is heavier than it's ever been. I've never felt more burdened in my life than I do right now. I've never felt more weary than I do right now. I've never felt weaker than I do in this very moment. But the Bible says we're groaning until glory. These light and momentary troubles that don't feel very light right now are achieving for us an unsurpassing glory that far outweighs them all, an unsurpassing joy that will never end in Christ. You know, When I used to run cross-country, it was always really easy to run at the beginning of the race, like I said earlier, at the end of the race. A lot of people would be at the finish line. They'd be cheering you. You know you're about to be done. At the beginning, there's excitement. All the runners are still together, but, but it was always that back part of the race, like that mile two, mile two and a half. It's always the back part of the race where it was back in the woods, where the crowds couldn't get there, where it was silent and you felt like you were all alone. That's the moments that were the hardest part. That's the times that you'd want to quit. But I had a coach named Coach Adam. And for some reason, he always found how to get to the hardest part. He would always get in the place in the back where nobody was, where it was silent, where you thought you were all alone, where you wanted to give up. And you would hear this voice say, nobody quits. You got to dig. You have to press on. You have to keep going. And this morning, I'm just praying that by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're hearing the Lord, even in the hardest parts of life right now, saying, Press on. There's glory that's coming. Just a few more miles. Just a little more suffering. Just a few more trials. Just a little more temptation. But, brother, sister, glory is coming. There's a Savior who awaits you. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, would you help your people to press on? Lord, would you help us rest all our hope in Jesus so that we can run knowing we're forgiven and free in Christ? Lord, would you help us forget the, what lies in our past, whether it's our worst sin or our best self-righteousness and performance. Lord, would you help us forget it in the past so we can press on towards Christ Jesus our Savior. Lord, would you help us imitate others and set an example for others. But Lord, more than anything, would you help us eagerly await a Savior. Lord, would you help us live like our citizenship is in heaven and that we have a Savior waiting for us who's saying, press on. Lord, would you help us by the power of your Spirit do that. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who is not a follower in Christ and Lord, who is captivated by this world, who is fixed on Their sin that could never satisfy them. Lord, I pray that you would turn their eyes away from that sin. Turn their eyes away from this world. And you would set their eyes on the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Who lived a perfect life for them. Who died a sinner's death for them. Who rose again. That they might rest and run this life like never before. Forgiven and free at peace, filled with joy, longing for a Savior who is to come. Lord, would you help us? Would you fill every man and woman by the power of your Spirit with the hope and the joy and the peace that comes in resting in Christ and running until we see his face? Lord, would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.